2: A few clouds right now, 26 degrees on a Sunday night. I'm Susie Jones filling in for Geraldine Steele and Steele talking. Geraldine a bit under the weather, but hopefully she's recovering. We'll quickly return next Sunday. It is eight minutes now past eight o'clock. Happy to have you with us on this Sunday evening. Uh, Wednesday last week, the Minnesota Supreme Court upheld the state's current law stating that people with felony records will still have their right to vote withheld until completing their full sentence. The entire sentence, this could extend beyond their time in prison to include parole or probation or restitution, coming up with the money for that. The court's decision leaves it up to the state legislature now to change the laws on the books. Now, the House has already passed a bill that could restore the voting rights of several thousand former felons, and the Senate is working on a similar bill, where does this debate go from here? We have asked Isaiah, Minnesota lead field organizer, Brian Fulman, to join us now on the John Schuster Colwell Banker Hotline. Good evening, Brian. How are you?
3: I'm doing good. How are you doing?
2: Wonderful. I'm awake good. much later than I normally am, but I'm having a, a nice evening, enjoying talking to a number of different people, including yourself. Um, when you start heard this on Wednesday, uh, your thoughts, I mean, were you dejected? Kind of explain how it felt to, to hear that news.
3: Well, it was it was hurtful. Uh, it, it was unfortunate. Uh, I, I do always want to believe that, uh, you know, the, the high court of uh, the state that you reside in, for me, that's Minnesota, would actually see things our way and understand why it's so important that brothers and sisters who are re-entering society uh, have a voice. Uh, if we expect them to be law-abiding citizens and productive in society, we expect them to get a job and pay towards the taxes and of the city and state, then they should have proper representation. And there's no more appropriate representation than your own voice, your own vote. So it it, it, it was uh it it, it was disheartening. It, it 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 did sting a little bit, but we we understand too the momentum and and what we have going right now in the legislature, and, and we got one last stop before it hits the governor's desk. So. We still feel hopeful. Uh, the organizer never stopped.
2: Brian, does it happen that if the governor signs this into law, does that supersede what the court has decided? So
3: I don't know. So I think that's more of a question for the lawyer. But I will tell you this. Uh, and it was actually expressed to uh, in the response from the Supreme Court that it should be the legislator who makes that decision. We knew the whole time, like they did, that the power is actually in the legislature. And for me as an organizer, in my perspective, what more sustainable, what more powerful law can it be than the law that actually took the process of enrolling our residents of the state of Minnesota? Uh, And so I feel very confident uh, that we're going to actually move this bill into law through legislation. Uh, And I also feel like it's, It's a more powerful and bold and very legible way to say uh, that the people of Minnesota want this.
2: And we are talking again with Brian Fulman. He is with Isaiah Minnesota, a lead field organizer, talking about the decision this past week, the Minnesota Supreme Court decision upholding the state's current law. That law, uh, 1963 state law spelled out that, When a person's sentence ends, it has to have run its course. And that kind of is the point at which some conversation was had is when is that? Is that when they get out of prison? Is that when they finish parole? Is that when they pay restitution? And Brian, as you say, um, it should be, in in your opinion, and obviously in this law that lawmakers are looking at, this bill, it should be when the person is out of incarceration. Correct? Correct.
3: Absolutely. So right now, as it stands, if we trust people to re-enter society, and again, we expect them to look at society and make it part ownership in their own world and to say, you know what, I, I feel really good about society and I feel like I'm being included. I feel like I'm being welcomed back to society. Then we have to express that through our policies. Our laws actually have to reflect our values and our morals. So yes, uh, we want our brothers and sisters to be able to come out in the community and know that their voices are respected, valued, and heard. Uh, and, and, and there is some research out there with, with proper documentation that people who are invited to civic engagement and encouraged to actually use their voice, recidivism actually goes down in the state. Mm-hmm. People actually buy into society if they feel like they have been included.
2: Right. And just to let listeners know that this uh, felons restoring a felon's right to vote really does affect members of uh, African American and people of color communities in Minnesota more than whites. Would you say?
3: Uh, I'll say this because right now I live in Minnesota, so there will be more white people who actually will have their benefits immediately restored than black. But the numbers are so severely disproportionate. Mm. So we don't make up. We don't make up. You know, we don't make up ten percent of the state. Uh, as African Americans, but we also we also make up close to a third of the community that is incarcerated.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So so there's a lot of our white brothers and sisters who, as soon as this bill becomes law, uh, their right to vote will be restored to them. But there's a there's a grand number of black folks here in the state in Minnesota who rights will be restored to them, and those numbers uh, uh, again are disproportionate when you look at the amount of people who. The percentage of people that live here that are white and the percentage of people that live here uh, that are not.
2: Right. And isn't the number, I forget how many thousand African-Americans would be eligible to vote if this law goes into effect. It was thousands, I know. Was it 50,000 more
3: than that? Well, not not specifically African-Americans. Fifty five thousand people will have their rights. And that's and that's just that's a rough estimate. Okay. 55,000 plus people will have the right, uh, will have the voting rights restored. Mm-hmm. Of that, I'm not sure about the number of how many African Americans, because first, for me as an organizer, what I'm trying to do is have something that actually impacts and affects people across the state. OK, uh, so I haven't been so much focused on exactly what it would do for one community. But what would it do for us across this community in my mission to build a multiracial democracy in the state of Minnesota?
2: I see. So it's everybody. It's important that everybody votes.
3: Absolutely. And Absolutely.
2: Right. Right. And So let's talk a little bit about the work you do at Isaiah as a field um, organizer. I mean, Obviously, has your effort been completely on restoring felons' right to vote, or what is the work that you do with Isaiah?
3: Sure. So my role in Isaiah is I'm one of the five lead organizers for Isaiah. I organize and direct the work for the Barbershop and Black Congregation Cooperative. Uh, We have different rooms in the house. Uh, The Muslim Coalition of Isaiah, Kids Count on Us, that organizes daycares. We've got the Young Adult Coalition. Uh, So we have different rooms in the house uh, to meet the— to meet the needs and on-ramp as many constituent spaces as we possibly can reach. And so for me, that's West African and African-Americans in the state of Minnesota. And so uh, the restoration of voting rights is just another one of those disenfranchisements that we're trying to dismantle. Uh, the same as it may be the pu- public safety is an issue that we work on. Uh, right now we're working on rent stabilization in Minneapolis, uh, making sure there's some kind of regulation for landlords who just going around Exploiting people for the lack of resources they have and got them on high rent. Hmm. Uh, so it, it, it varies from health care, housing, child care, uh, you, you name it. Any inequities uh, or any disparity uh, that is affecting people on a day-to-day basis, we're looking to dismantle that and close the gap.
2: Is not it astonishing that Minnesota has such an extreme racial disparity gap and that people seem, I guess, I shouldn't say that people seem oblivious to it, but maybe they do. I was reading not so long ago uh, for Black History Month some of the disparities around home ownership, around wealth, and yet it persists. Are you feeling hopeful of closing the disparities with this legislative makeup as it is right now and a lot of these bills that are passing? Or do you feel like we still have so much more to do to close the gap?
3: I feel hopeful about a multiracial democracy that we're building in the state of Minnesota. I feel hopeful about us actually shifting and changing the culture of democracy and how we actually look at democracy and understanding that if we get full representation from every community, then we all get a little taste of what we want. And so the first thing that we have to achieve is for the state to understand that we actually become a better state collectively when we consider and we prioritize every in this state. So I, I feel hopeful about the first step. I'm not astonished at the disparity gaps. I've, I've lived in them all my life. And <laughs> I, I mean, there's a lot of people who can't name what the disparity is. But if they take the ride in a car or they take the bus, you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes west to east, they'll be in a totally different area with mm. totally different abundance of resources than they actually come from. So the disparities are very obvious when you're living in them. Right. Uh, it's just that they don't you know, they, they don't know how to name them, but they see them all the time.
2: Right, right, right. And I think if it's not affecting you personally, you're not paying attention to it. And that's part of the solution, I think, is for people that aren't living in the disparity to understand and have some empathy for those that do live in, in the disparity. Does that make Absolutely. sense? Absolutely,
3: It yeah. makes sense. It makes sense because ultimately it will begin to affect you. Uh, and You know, it, I, I just don't think it's human nature at all to... To have to, to hoard resources mm-hmm. and still have to travel through or go through the city and see people who don't. Or mm-hmm. People may see you may go you may have relatives that go to the same churches or some of your community members that are severely disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. After a while, it meets you at your door. It's just hard to live in a city or state where there's a hoard. There's an abundance of resources that are being hoarded in certain particular areas of the state mm-hmm. when the rest of the city and the rest of the people who live in these, you know, uh, deprived areas, and disparity filled areas. It's just a little hard to continue to ignore year after year. That's why it's so important that we have proper representation when we've used an opportunity.
2: Brian, do you, how important is home ownership in the solution? Is that a, a small piece, a big piece in terms of the whole picture of closing the and closing the gap the disparity
3: gap yeah i think i think home ownership is very important i think ownership period mm. is very important i think having an entrepreneurial spirit and being having people in your house and having kids actually been raised in the culture of entrepreneurship is very very important but what's very important is how to manage that what's very important is learning how to actually manage mm-hmm. learning how to sustain if you have home ownership is great I mean, but don't be like me. Don't step into home ownership without actually being educated on what it is to own a home where it's productive for you and your family <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and not get into a balloon in our mortgage like I did when I first became a home ownership. So I'm, the reason why I raise that is home ownership is great. Education about ownership and home ownership is even greater.
2: Right, and that's the piece that, Often you just say, well, let's just give a person a home. Well, no, there's a lot involved in that. It's not just having that home. Well, I appreciate the work you do. As you say, you know, a multiracial democracy, even though Minnesota is still pretty pretty lily white, the country as a whole is changing in demographics, you know, and that what do they say now? Kindergarteners in the United States by the year something will be all um, minority. They'll all be people of color, whatever that. Race is that it won't be the mixing of of uh, DNA, right?
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I would even and I would even challenge, so I would even challenge that uh, Minnesota is not lily white no more. I was, I would maybe describe it as off white.
2: Okay, now we, okay. we're getting there.
3: We're getting there. That's right. We're
2: but you know, there. culturally, it's just. I I met a woman once uh, years ago at the state capitol. And we were talking about integration and. Uh, assimilation and feeling a part of, and how Minnesota can be such a tough state that they make a joke if you haven't met your for, your best friend in the first grade, you're never going to meet them. You know that there's That's these. And a woman was talking at work in a corporate environment, and all several colleagues were talking about going to the cabin. And the person I was speaking with thought they did. This person didn't understand what is the cabin? Is it a city somewhere? Like so, there's a real <laughs> disconnect between sort of you know, Lake Wobegon and, you know, northern Minnesota folk and trying to invite everyone into different cultures and learn more about each other and accepting and bringing people into their own world and letting them see how they live.
3: That's right. That's why that's why grassroots organizing is so important because typically what we do at the core, at the core of our work is relationship building, right. having conversations with people, you know, breaking mm-hmm. down the barriers, Mm-hmm. Speaking against the fear mongering, going to greater Minnesota and organizing, talking to our brothers and sisters who are out there who are a lot more in rural areas, mm-hmm. being intentional about setting up spaces that are multiracial so we can all start understanding the commonalities of just being human beings. That's how you actually, that's the antidote. You have to actually get out here and talk to each other and not continue just talk to the people that's in your neighborhood, but also some. And some there's times where you have to be intentional of reaching out. Mm-hmm. across communities and talking with people. That's how you start to dismantle the fear, these stigmas, these stereotypes. So if we continue to do that, we'll be we'll be okay in Minnesota. And then it's opportunities like this that actually lift up grassroots organizing, lift mm-hmm. up people who are out in the field talking with folks where people are just not running to go internal or be administrator. Mm-hmm. Actually take the time to get out and connect with your neighbors, connect with the people across the street, connect with the people in Ward 5 and Ward 4, In Minneapolis, I'm just, you know, Mm -hmm. saying Mm -hmm. that's how you actually get to a point where people start looking at themselves as a collective and not all of these broken out groups of people with all these different, you know, tags that they have and labels that they have for each other. And that's what actually perpetuates the systems of oppression is when we keep walking past each other
2: and not saying hello. Um, just real quick, Brian, we have a little bit time left, but I grew up in Minneapolis. I'm a Minneapolis kid, and I went to a high school called Marshall University High School and graduated. Okay. I'm 60, graduated in 1981, and our school was really unique. It was a university high school, which was on campus and had all the professor's kids, and then Marshall High School was very traditional and white and sort of uh, industrial neighborhood over there in southeast and The kids in bobby socks and poodle skirts. And then in 1968, uh, desegregation happened and they bused students from North High School to Marshall. They closed the university, so it became Marshall University High School. And so that that school, I'm going to do a story on it, became this sort of Petri dish of all different factions of color and race and ability and, and economic situation. And... Yeah. It was tough. I mean, I would say if you talk to graduates in the 72, 73, those days were hard. I mean, they threw people That's together. Right. But by the time I got there in 76, people were starting to get along. And That's my right. and my friends, you know, I had a very good friend in the eighth grade, and her name was Sylvia. And her friend said, Sylvia, why do you hang out with that white girl? Yeah. Me, me. And Sylvia yeah. said, she's not white. She's my friend. That's right. That's right. And, you know, so I feel so blessed that I had that opportunity to experience so many different parts of humanity and and come to really been invited over to houses where I got to see, eat and drink and laugh with friends and they to my house. And I do think that is the magic of the solution of, of all of us getting along.
3: That's right. That's right. And that is the kind of model that we actually want to bring back. And that's the kind of encouragement It's actually the encouragement of our children to get to know each other. Yep. Right. It's a it's a a better human being. I wouldn't say better, but there's a more developed human being to somebody who actually has experience of living or engaging in a culture outside of their own. Right.
2: Just take take that step. So, Brian, uh, before we let you go, if people want to volunteer or be a part of the organization, how do they get in touch if they want to do some work with you?
3: Yeah, so uh, first you can go to Isaiah, Faith in Democracy. We have a website, uh, just Isaiah, Faith and Democracy. It'll come up for you if you just Google it. You can go on our Facebook page. You can look up the same thing, Isaiah, Faith and Democracy, or Faith in Minnesota, which is our C4 organization, Faith in Minnesota. All right. uh, or you can look up Brian Fullman or, or, or go to my page. I'm sorry, uh, on Facebook, it's the Barbershop and Black Congregation Cooperative. Of ice in Minnesota, so they can hit on any one of those
2: and get it, in, get invited to the party. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate your time today.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: All right. It is eight twenty six on News Talk eight three zero WCCO. We'll take a quick break. Bring you the latest on the weather and the snow right after this. It is eight twenty nine. Eight twenty nine on a Sunday night. We're down to twenty six degrees. Clouds out there. Remind you, once again, uh, we'll tell you about it in depth in just a minute or so, but we do have snow coming, and we we want you to be aware of it. It's going to kind of come in two waves, so we'll get to that forecast as well coming up in a couple of minutes. Coming up at 8.35, we are going to talk about a really cool event that is going to be taking place at Theodore Worth Park in Golden Valley. Uh, The park is going to host the World Cup cross country skiing event in 2024. Now, remember, it was supposed to have been held earlier, but the pandemic forced it to move. So, we're going to talk with the director, the executive director of the Lopit, the Minneapolis Lopit, to find out how they're getting ready for it, how exciting it is to have it be back. It's going to be next year, uh, this same weekend, President's Day weekend, February 17th to the 19th in 2024. So, we'll talk more about what that means, how you can get involved. And again, more on that forecast right after this.
0: His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams Thanks for everything, mom and Dad. will always be worth it.
2: A little something for you there. 834. Just get it in your head. Just Get it in your head that we're going to have snow. Don't fight it. It's okay. We'll get through it. Speaking of snow, I'm sure snow will be welcome come this time next year. And a big announcement on Wednesday. We learned that some of the world's best skiers will descend on the city. Golden Valley's Theater Worth Park will host a World Cup cross-country skiing event in 2024. An event... On this revered circuit was supposed to have taken place here in 2020, but again was canceled because of the pandemic. Now we get another chance to play host to one of the coveted stops, something that has occurred in the U.S. not since 2001. We are joined now by Claire Wilson, executive director of the Lopit Foundation, to explain what this honor means to the area. She joins us now on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Hi, Claire. How are you?
4: I'm fantastic. How are you? I bet
2: you're still flying, aren't you?
4: <laughs> I am. It's been a great weekend. I bet. So
2: when you learned in 2020 that it wasn't happening, was it guaranteed we'd get it again or did that just like wipe the slate clean? Did you have to re-establish yourself?
4: We we had to re-establish ourselves a little bit and make the bid again to, you know, make the case that Minneapolis is a incredible place to host a world cup and um... luckily the international community agreed this time
2: and uh... our very own jesse diggins uh, obviously weighing in on this uh... can't wait for her to take on her competitors in her home state what a fun thing
4: oh she's so excited and it is really unusual for the american athletes to get a chance to ski in front of a hometown crowd so all of our Midwest athletes, including Zach Ketterson and Alana Sonneson and Jesse Diggins, who are skiing on the World Cup right now, are just thrilled to be able to come ski at home.
2: How about Theodore Worth? Obviously, um, I have a Nordic skier in my life. My son uh, mm. was a skier all his uh, high school and junior high life. Um, we've skied Theodore Worth Park many times. Is it a bi- How big of a deal is it to set up such an, a course? for this elite athlete in Minnesota? Obviously, someone said yes, so talk about that.
4: (laughs) Well, it's a really big deal. You know, usually these races do not occur in venues that are in urban environments. So that's really different and super cool. And Theodore Worth is a public park, which none of these races ever happen in. So it's really exciting that the Lopez Foundation, which is a nonprofit who, you know, grooms and maintains the ski trails in Minneapolis's public parks can host this while highlighting, you know, a public park in the heart of a city that's going to host world-class athletes. It's super unusual.
2: But exciting nonetheless. So where are we with preparations at this point? I mean, it's been announced to sort of what happens next.
4: Well, now we're going to mobilize hundreds of volunteers. We're going to encourage the local business community to invest in this incredible opportunity to put, you know, Minneapolis on the international map in a way that's really different, you know, from any other international sporting event. And just as a little nonprofit, we're just starting to work hard to assure that we can provide these athletes with the best experience possible.
2: And is this uh, enough time or generally? <laughs> no, I'm saying it's a year from now. I mean, is it's that
4: very soon? Yes.
2: So is it less of a lead time than you would have hoped to get?
4: Yes, we had hoped that they would give us the green light earlier, but um but it takes a while to figure out calendars, especially now post-COVID when so many things were canceled and so many things are being rescheduled. And um, and like we said, it's unusual for them to come to North America. So it took a little convincing. So we would have loved a little bit more lead time, but we're going to make it happen.
2: I have a question, Claire. I mean, it's not unusual for us to have bad winters where there's not a lot of snow. Because I'm telling you, I've been to many ski meets where there's been brown <laughs> you know? I mean, does that give you pause? Are you nervous about that? I mean, obviously, Mother Nature is uh, not exactly uh,
4: guaranteed. I am not as nervous about it as I might have been. Last time, they were planning on hosting it in March, which would have been very difficult. But we make snow at Theodore Worth. We have a seven-kilometer loop where, you know, the snow is pretty much guaranteed. So, I'm not as nervous about there being snow on the ground because we can we can assure that. Um, But, you know, I'm always nervous about the weather. I was going
2: to say, what are you nervous Uh, about everything? (laughs) I mean, it's sort of got to be a mixed bag, right?
4: It's a mixed bag, yes. Well, I think, you know, I think for the spectators, this weekend is a perfect example, right? We just held our big luminary lope it, which had to move to land because the rain washed out the lake so you couldn't, you know, walk on it. And I think I have the same fear for Theodore Worth in February for spectators. The the course will be great, but There could be ice, there could be mud, there could be feats of snow. I mean, we're about to get feats of snow. (laughs) Right,
2: right, right. (laughs) Our weather is goofy, if it's anything, here in the state of Minnesota. Let's talk about cross-country skiing, though, Nordic skiing and the sport. Um, Obviously, Jesse Diggins just uh, inspired so many people. And it's such a great activity because anyone can do it, really, would you say?
4: Oh, absolutely. It's I say it's a lifelong activity. I mean, you can learn it at any point and it's gentle and a, particularly if you're going to live in Minnesota, it's a great way to embrace the winter and get out there and be outside. And Jesse has inspired that. I think obviously post-COVID, when people really were pushed to be outside more, we've just seen an explosion in interest in cross-country skiing.
2: Yeah, I can imagine because when we were stuck in our houses with the pandemic, pe- people did want to do stuff outside because it felt like that was safer than being cooped up inside by yourself. So people were going to stay at parks in the summer and skiing in the winter.
4: Absolutely. And we saw that, obviously, at Theodore Worth, which is, again, a park in the heart of the city. So we had... 10,000. We sold 10,000 ski passes last year and then again this year. So we're seeing people very interested in coming out. So no
2: concern about getting volunteers. I know Minnesota is a pretty cool state when it comes to people feeling inspired to take part and volunteer in different, you know, whether it's a Super Bowl or the Women's Final Four or what have you. It's nice to have that knowledge that Minnesotans like to volunteer.
4: Oh, um, Minnesotans love to volunteer. I mean, I don't have a huge concern about that. I certainly hope people who are interested will engage and, and volunteer. But I think particularly for this unique event, which, again, has not been here for decades, I, I'm hoping we'll see a lot of volunteer interest.
2: So, again, this is 2024, this weekend, a year from now. Mm-hmm. Explain how it will work. How many athletes will be here? You know, where will they stay? What will the... Events be like, (laughs) you know what I mean? I have no idea how many people are coming.
4: Well, we will have, you know, at least 100 athletes from across the world. Obviously, these are all international athletes who come from different countries. Um, We're hoping they will stay downtown and uh, there will be two races, a Saturday and a Sunday. So for anybody who's familiar with cross-country skiing, there'll be a sprint on Saturday and then a distance race on Sunday. And then what's really fun is because it's President's Day weekend, then on Monday we're going to have a great big free community ski day where everybody can come out and some of the athletes will stick around and ski with the families. And we're just going to celebrate winter Mm and Theodore Worth Park and what it means to have, you know, the world come to worth.
2: The world come to worth. I love that. Did you just think of that or was that already on your brain? No, no
4: it's, our, <laughs> it's our tagline. Oh. We're going to bring the world to worth and that's that's what we're excited to do.
2: It's so funny, Claire, because I learned to ski at Theodore Worth Park. At, <gasps>
4: really, I swear to God,
2: in the no. in the early seventies. As I keep telling people, I'm sixty, and my mom insisted that we learn how to skate and ski and swim. <gasps> so remember, I don't know if you remember, you're, you're way younger. So Theodore Worth used to have a, a a tow rope, and we yes, would, we no, would we still have it. Absolutely, tear up our mittens. You know, we'd have like knit mittens. We weren't very well outfitted, but we would go up that tow rope and take our lessons. And it's so wonderful to have that skill. I mean, I know Nordic skiing is what we're talking about, but Theodore Worth is a great place to even learn how to downhill ski and get some practice.
4: Oh, I'm so glad you said that because yes, I mean, we have an alpine hill. We have, you know, a sledding hill. We have tubing. We have people who just come out to snowshoe and that's why we're so excited to bring the world to Worth because so many people have learned to ski on these trails or have just learned to love the outdoors on these trails. And our our you know mission as a nonprofit is connect is to connect people to the outdoors, and um, and Worth has done that for generations, which is again why it's so cool to kind of have the Super Bowl of skiing in a trail system where so many people have learned to ski or learn to play or downhill it's yeah. It's it's a special place.
2: It really is, and the thing is, is that once you learn, and it wasn't like elitist. I mean, we were mm-hmm. kind of poor kids from Southeast Minneapolis, and it didn't cost much to take the ski lesson. And I wanted to say to this to you. Last week, I was in Colorado at my cousin's cabin um, outside of Denver and Dillon, and we skied Copper Mountain on Thursday. And I have not skied in five years, and I <laughs> frip, I flip and skied on a mountain last Thursday and I'm like that's awesome and I you know I went back to my tried and true you know the pizzas you know your skis at a V just so I didn't go too yes. fast <laughs> and I did fall a few times to be honest one time I went out of bounds and fell in about two feet of snow and it took me a while to my snow pants filled with snow. And I just laid there and thought, well, how am I going to get out of this? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It was. And I just, my niece is like, well, just take your skis off. I said, they're under two feet of snow. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, you know, to enjoy that feeling of being in fresh air is just invigorating. It really is. And we have to take advantage of it because it's Where we live, right?
4: I mean, if you're going to live here, you have to love it. And I think it's the, I mean, I grew up in Louisiana. I moved here for the winter. So I feel like this is why you live here. It's the best part of Minnesota.
2: Yeah, awesome. Well, Claire, thank you for taking some time. Anything you want to add? What should we get out about this? I know.
4: Well, I will just add that this event, unlike almost any other major sporting event, we are putting on free to the public. So we are just really excited to welcome everyone in the city to come and experience this. And we're able to do that because of a partnership with Share Winter, who shares our mission of expanding access to winter. So There's no excuse. Make your President Day plans now and (laughs) in 2024 and come to worse.
2: And then these people that win that weekend, are they immediately going to the Olympics or do they have a few more stops before the Olympics?
4: A few more stops. So there's a there's a whole point system for the World Cup. But um, but definitely you will see people who will be heading to the Olympics,
2: including Jesse, Jesse Diggins.
4: Oh, absolutely, including Jesse <laughs> Diggins, 100%. Oh,
2: cool. Well, thank you. It was so nice to talk to you and uh, look forward to next year and get the word out about volunteering because it's always fun to be part of the activity.
4: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And
2: they can go to the Lopet Foundation to get more information?
4: Absolutely, org.
2: Wonderful. Have a great night, Claire.
4: Thanks. You as well. All right. Claire
2: Wilson, executive director of the Lopit Foundation with us on News Talk 830 WCCO, talking again about a World Cup cross-country skiing event in 2024 at Theodore Worth Park. One year from this weekend, it is going to be a blast. It is the first World Cup event in the United States, and it's the first time since 2001. So going to be a kick at Worth Park in Minneapolis. It is 848 on News Talk 830 WCCO. Selling
6: a little or a lot.
2: I love this song. <laughs> Megan Trainor, right? And she's talking about her large bottom. <laughs> um, yes, Susie yes, Jones yes. in for Geraldine Steele. I love Geraldine Steele with all my heart. And one day, you know, she's so funny, man. She just cracks me up. We were talking about, you know, having large bottoms because I have a large bottom as well. And uh, she said one day she was walking down the street and, and she thought someone was behind her, and then she realized it was her own butt. <laughs> I love that. That's self-deprecating. Wow. She was all on. She was so funny. But, I you know don't what?
1: know if I can ever let her live that down. That ever. was so funny.
2: I think you were here. That's, it was one was of I the here? Sunday nights, seven o'clock. We were I just shooting the breeze. Yeah,
1: I, I might have been here. I can't remember. Anyway, oh she has gosh.
2: a lot of fun on Sunday nights, Geraldine does. So hopefully she'll she'll be back Sunday. She's just kinda of resting up. But nice to have, have a chance to actually do a whole show. I usually work down in the newsroom, usually over at the Capitol, do the Sunday show on health, which is fine. Then the money show with Bruce Helmer and wealth enhancement. So to have four full hours of talking is
1: not just, it's all right. It's 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 so and For people that don't necessarily listen to our station or haven't been legacy listeners to our Mm. station, you did used to host uh, a week, a a daily show. Daily
2: show. Eleanor Mondale and I and John Hines and I and Pat Miles and I. Um, Yeah. So hosting a show for people listening, it's very fun. You really just you have to just relax and go with the flow. And if you stumble or you sound a little silly, you just
1: keep going.
2: Can't rewind, not on no. live radio. No, you can't.
1: <laughs> live radio ain't nothing like it.
2: Nothing like it. I have friends that will say, because oftentimes, I'm not sure if you know this, Jonathan, I tend to swear a fair amount. I have, it's sort of a repertoire. I sort of it comes off the tongue. You know. <laughs> and oftentimes, I won't even realize that I have said a word that is questionable. And someone will say, wow, you didn't have to say that word there. And I'm like, did I? So they'll say, we can't believe that you can manage four hours on a live radio show and not say a bad word. So I think I'm doing well.
1: You are doing very well. We accept the challenge. I am right by the dump <laughs> button if necessary. Ah, of
2: course, of course, for listeners, that's a, a button that immediately dumps whatever I've said for, I believe it's seven seconds. Is yes, that the, we, we that are the in, delay?
1: We are, if you are listening out there, again, sometimes we go inside baseball on this show. That's a term that means just go inside. Okay. Uh, I don't want to say that because it's Sunday night and people are eating. Um,
2: uh, what were you going to say? I was going
1: to say, you know, go where the sausage is made. Oh, right. right. Yeah. So... You are listening to us, and it is on a slight delay. Right. It's the same thing with your television stations. When they broadcast something to you, you don't usually see it live in person, second to second to second. There's usually a slight delay. And so we are on a slight delay. And a lot of that is due to a little corporation we like to call the FCC <laughs> and saying, hey, if you say some naughty words here or there, you have a chance to cut them out. Where you don't hear them over the air. Mm. And as long as you don't, you folks over there in the audience don't hear them over the air, we will not be fined, which is good.
2: We need to keep the license, the FCC license. Yes. Well, I am doing my level best tonight to keep it clean, which I'm thank pretty you. good. At. I appreciate I'm that. I'm pretty good at.
1: Uh, I Sometimes
2: don't, it's I, also the listener. No, if we do call-ins, like yes. when people call in and they might say something inappropriate, we can always dump that. And we
1: we say naughty, naughty, and then and then <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. I would say uh, thank you for. Allowing me to not pull my hair out, but I really don't have any hair. You to don't. Pull out. You do not. You so do not. that is that is also that that means I'm pulling skin, which we is don't not, good. That. No. not good. That's no. not
2: good. That's so not good. So people are just tuning in. Maybe you're out and about. Maybe you're at home. Maybe you're in the car. It's eight fifty-five. We've got news coming up at the top of the hour. Let's remind listeners once again about this storm, the snow that's coming, uh, what we're watching, what we're hearing from the National Weather Service. Just to give everybody, because people like to set set the table on Sunday night. Like, yes. what are we in for? What yes. kind of week are we and, in? For?
1: And, es- and and especially since this is something that could affect us throughout the entire most of the week, not the entirety of the week, mm. but a large chunk of it. And we've had a couple weeks like that already this winter, where you had a snowfall here, uh, you know, freezing rain here, and and it it piles up in that same. Five or six day period, mm-hmm. this is going to be an event that could possibly be the same type of event. It would be all snow for us, but it could go three days, little wave tomorrow, little wave Tuesday, main storm coming in on Wednesday. And we do have winter storm watches. I'll, I'll pull this up real quick. Yeah, why just don't to, you
2: just to give us a sense?
1: Yes. So right now we have a winter storm, we, a winter weather advisory is in effect. In northern Minnesota, talking about northern and northeastern Minnesota, that's for the wave that's coming through tomorrow. While we could see maybe an inch at most, areas up north, talking about Hinkley, up to Duluth, Brainerd, up to uh, International Falls, over to Two Harbors, they could see upwards of three to six inches from this wave that's come through this tomorrow. This first one. Yes. The winter storm watch is going into effect on Tuesday afternoon mm-hmm. through Thursday uh, through Thursday morning, and that is for, I would say at least the lower 60% of Minnesota. okay it's It's a big chunk of Southern and central Minnesota basically all of it,
2: including the Twin Cities.
1: Yes, the Metro over into western Wisconsin, down to the I-90 corridor and down to the Iowa State line. Uh, you we're looking at this snow that could be coming in and dropping, Looking at the details, the first wave of this Tuesday afternoon through Wednesday could see up to 4 to 8 inches of snow, and then we could get additional snow on top of that as we go through the night on Wednesday and into Thursday. So you've got a lot of potential snowfall that we could see upwards of 10, 12, 14, 16 inches.
2: Hello! So
1: we're going to watch this and monitor it carefully because especially toward the last half of the week, it could be bad.
2: Well, I just put my shovel away because I thought we're done with winter, right? <laughs> it is eight fifty-eight. We've got center stage coming up in the o'clock, nine o'clock hour on WCCO.
0: His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt, Hi-ya! and even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. <laughs>